I am Sergio Brodsky, and I'm a brand and foresight strategist. And I'm Jazz Giuliani, the editor of Marketing Mag. Welcome to Futurecast, the podcast where we talk with professional futurists, renowned academics, and high-profile business leaders from around the world. In this series, we think about the future so that we can meaningfully change the present. The time is now. Join us for better futures. This episode of Futurecast is proudly sponsored by Salesforce Datarama. To learn more about how teams are using Datarama to grow their marketing, visit marketingmag.com.au slash futurecast or click the link in our episode notes. Welcome back to Futurecast. Today we have Andrea Martins here with us, the CEO of the Association for Data-Driven Marketing and Advertising and also a top 50 CMO. Hi, Andrea. Thank you for joining us at Futurecast. Fantastic. Thank you. And thank a big thanks from me too, Andrea. Very, very happy to have you here uh, from the from the very first time that I saw you speak. And when I had a chance to actually be on a panel with you, I was incredibly impressed. And the opportunity of having a global CMO and someone that is very much involved in the space of data and technology is of huge benefit for all of us, especially when it's about talking the future. Andrea, you've led some really well-known teams in the marketing and digital world, and I don't think that you will be a stranger to many of the marketers that will be listening. So you actually hosted the futurist Richard Hames at an Admar event. What prompted that? Do you think the industry is um, currently applying foresight into their strategies? And what is your sort of interest in in futurists and, and those ways of thinking? When, um, when we look at bringing any form of thought leader or leadership program to um, the marketing industry, it really is important to bring a diverse range of opinions. And Richard was one of a number of opinions that we brought to Data Week. Um, and one of the key things here was to his perspective, some of the other speakers that we had was around being able to bring to life different ways of thinking to help marketers develop their own opinions and also consider ways in which they could challenge the status quo. From my perspective, marketers always need to be at the forefront. When we think of the role that marketers play in terms of being that conduit for a business between consumers and the business, so um, essentially bringing this consumer sentiment into a business, that is ultimately foresight. And that was one of the key things when we look at the array of speakers we had, and Richard Richard was one of them. And in your in a recent article that you wrote, so you obviously contributed to an article about you know the post COVID scenarios with Sergio and Professor Sahail that we recently published on marketing. And in that article, we're all we were thinking about the future of the industry because obviously that's a really pertinent thing to be thinking about right now. You know, this is the sort of question on everybody's lips is where next? In the article, you specifically said we need to stop talking in terms of the new normal because obviously that term, the new normal, has been thrown around quite a lot. Can you expand on what you meant by that and why maybe the word the new normal doesn't quite cut it for you? So I don't think the new normal as such has arrived. We are still very much in the midst of the pandemic. We don't know where it's going to end and we don't know what the ongoing impact is actually going to be. So what we do, however, know is that we are dealing with this ever-changing landscape at the moment. And that requires some key skills in terms of flexibility, adaptability and empathy. Um, But what we define as the new normal today could be very, very different tomorrow. What we do know is also in terms of the new way of working 
is going to be a hybrid from the one that we were used to in the past. And that could continue to evolve. It could continue to evolve over the next six months. What we also know is that the toll that the last six months has taken, for instance, on the mental health of our teams and, um, and on a mental health crisis that was already evident within our industry, that is going to be a new part. Dealing with that is going to be a new part of how we're all going to have to work. So plenty of change, plenty of transformation, and a lot of digital as well. I think those were possibly the, the three most spoken words during this, this period of COVID, aside from, I'm not, I'm not hearing you, please turn on your microphone. Uh, these have been the biggest buzzwords for the last three, four months now. And in terms of digital transformation, it has become an imperative for, for business. And that's something that has been going on for at least a decade. And if anything, this pandemic has only accelerated the need for uh, digital transformation. However, and this is something that I hear almost every day from my wife complaining to me, I need, I, I need to go to shops, but shops are closed. I put the orders, but e-commerce doesn't work properly. And why is that? If digital transformation is something that has been happening for at least a decade now, what is, what is really hindering real valuable transformation of business? Is it technological capability? Is it marketers not being in tune with tech? Or is it something that is more related to internal cultures? What could it be? Why digital transformation hasn't actually allowed for business transformation as well? So I think um, I think the reality is transformation is hard, um, and it's not something that can be relied on from within one individual area of a business. Digital transformation, at the end of the day, absolutely can be led by the marketers but it is transformation at an organisational level. And that means that everyone is strategically aligned to what needs to be achieved, but are then operationally also all working together. I think one of the important things is that um, we need to not discount the small improvements made along the way. And thinking of that conversation around the, the, the grocery shopping, if you think of the small changes in terms of the number of people that were able to access online shopping within such a small space of time because the likes of Coles or Woolworths built X number of new distribution centres, that in itself has had a, has had a fundamental impact on the consumer customer's experience and how many, many people will probably approach shopping in the long term. That within that organisation or for that category is fundamentally transformative, but only in, is an increment of transformation. It's a small step and they have to be celebrated, absolutely have to be celebrated. One of the other important things is that with any transformation, the consumer needs to be at the heart of it and the two need to work in lockstep. So the marketer and the business keeping really focused on what the consumer or the customer is looking for and then building the business capabilities or requirements around that. Um, and that, that is absolutely critical. And I think we've seen a period of, of consumer change in the last six months like never before in terms of all of a sudden people's shopping habits have fundamentally shifted. So I think we'll look back on this time in years to come and, and think that in many ways for many organisations it, it was transformative in essence for many of them just to survive. 
Yes, you're absolutely right. And it seems like it all comes down to what Peter Drucker said many years ago, that culture eats strategy for breakfast. Because if people are not aligned, if they're not working together, if they don't have consensus about the strategic objectives that they are working towards, the best technology won't be able to solve that. And in, in that sense, you know, we can look at the past, but we're also thinking and imagining the future. And in this sense, the future of work is what could be the most impactful element to enabling digital transformation to happen at its most in its most effective form. Uh, from from what you have been observing and feeling and living over the last few months, what what are the lasting changes that you think we can expect, and what about temporary ones? But also, what do you think is not going to change at all? I think in terms of the way of work, um, I think that has fundamentally changed. And in many ways, it, it, it's for the better in terms of output focus rather than input focus. I can't see us being in an, all, in, in an office environment full time in the foreseeable future. On the other hand, I also can't see us in a fully remote working environment either. And one of the key things is, is the importance, particularly for our industry, of collaboration and interaction. And there is also something around, you know, this, this need for hum, human connection that I don't think we, we, if I think of our own team, that, that hasn't gone away. And whilst you can sit on Zoom and interact and have, you know, lunches and try and establish social events, it's still not the same. So I think to some degree it won't be a full-time um, in office, but I also don't believe it'll be full-time remote. Flexibility of hours, however, and this output focus, I, I hope will be here to stay and that my sense is it will be here to stay. And I think for many industries that's been a, a fabulous step forward. Many people in, in our organisation who had never worked from home and, and many of our clients' organisations and all of a sudden, they're now equipped to work from home. And But again, that still, if you think of um, our Victorian friends, that comes with its challenges. And sometimes too much of a good thing is, is too much. So um, I do think it'll be more flexible, more based on the needs of the individual, but recognise that um, 100% remote is not the way to go to get the ideal outcome for an organisation or for individuals. Mm. And flexibility, I, I agree, Andrea, I think that flexibility will hopefully be here to stay because, you know, businesses that perhaps were really worried about making that transition before are now seeing that, that people can be extremely productive and do a fantastic job. And in some ways, it's really motivating having more flexibility and more balance in your life. But once again, we all do get Zoom fatigue. So that is something that is happening and as somebody who's been, you know, living in stage four lockdown and, and Sergio too, I believe, we understand that very well. For quite a few months now. <laughs> quite a few months. I, I think that is the extreme at the end mm -hmm. of the day. Um, and I think the impact on families and on and on individuals' mental health is is so concerning. And and that's something that I think we're going to feel the impact of. Um, for, for years to come and as organisations need to consciously have, have that in mind, consider putting strategies around how do we, how do we bring the mental health of our, of our work community and our work families um, back to where it needs to be. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting because we used to talk about work-life balance, but now it's work-life integration. Everything is integrating, but I'm not sure if it's integrating in the best ways. 
no, it, it's, and I, I think the flow-on impact of, you know, families are now used to having your work at home, but where where are the boundaries? Does it does it actually ever stop? And um, and productivity, without a doubt, I can see that in myself or in my teams has gone up, but that's it comes at a cost. Mm. And at ADMA, actually, you guys have recently partnered with Ariana Huffington's Thrive Global. And from what I can see, that's really all about improving the mental health and productivity for individuals and businesses. And I think it's obviously something that you feel really passionately about, Andrea. Can you tell us a little bit about how Thrive Global works and, you know, touch on a little bit more about that role that mental health and resilience plays in the future of the marketing industry? For any every organisation, mental health is going to be an ongoing focus from my perspective. Um, if we think there was a, a study released recently from Allianz and said that 80% of Australian workers want workplaces to double down on mental health initiatives and only one in four feel that their employers actually take mental health concerns as seriously as they do physical illness. Now that's that's a huge disconnect. What we also know is that our industry has always been widely reported as one of the most susceptible to stress and particularly during this period. So 20% more likely than the general population to suffer mental health issues. So ADMA, we are here, our role is to be here for the industry. So, you know, from our perspective, we don't deal with this now. It's going to have a huge impact. Um, negatively on organize, on organisations and also the wider community. In, in looking at this, we partnered with Thrive Global. So Thrive Global is essentially an initiative of Ariana Huffington. After she personally experienced a breakdown due to workplace stress, so she used the learnings from that and the reframing her life to really prioritise her own effectiveness and, and mental health. Essentially what Thrive Global does or why it was established was to create something tangible that would help individuals, companies and communities improve their well-being and performance. And what it allows is essentially it's an individual holistic solution that uses science, uses so science and data, storytelling and gives an incredible user experience where across recharging, so sleep, fuel, focus and connect it establishes helps an individual establish these these habits so these habits are through lifelong habits but they're established through these hundreds of science-based micro steps so it uses science it uses all the insights from an individual on a daily basis on where they're experiencing stress what their triggers are to help them create these long-term habits and it's backed by um, Stanford, Harvard, and here in Australia, Monash. So in terms of the science behind this program, in terms of the best of the best experts in sleep, the best of the best experts in terms of connection with people, nutrition, and it's really all there at the fingertips for an individual. We've seen a number of organisations in the US, um, Walmart, Amazon, roll this out across their employee base in the hundreds of thousands and the impact and the engagement with this program is quite phenomenal. And, and that's what we wanted to bring to the Australian marketing community. Marketers, as I said, they, they are more susceptible to be suffering from um, mental health challenges. 
and also they're at the centre of the organisation. So being able to support the marketing departments would also then enable us to support more, broader organisations and help them have access to a program, ensuring that they come through this and set themselves up for the very best possible outlook. So, yes, it is something I'm really passionate about. <laughs> for the first time ever, Salesforce Datarama has conducted a research study in seven countries across Asia and ANZ. Learn about the top challenges marketers face and how they are utilising data to drive growth in our survey of over 1,000 top marketing leaders. Download it now from marketingmag.com.au slash futurecast, or you can find a link in our episode notes. So we're going to switch gears a little bit. Um, I want to direct a question to you, Sergio. We're we're seeing a lot of terms at the moment, um, like predictive marketing and sentient brands. And I just wanted to ask you your thoughts about what this is about and how far we really are from some real applications of these ideas that we're hearing about. Oh, it's already here. I think what Andrea just said is a, is a proof of that. So this is definitely a demonstration of a sentient brand, a brand that senses the environment, that understands the user or the consumer or the person spending time with that brand and provides a, provides a response to that. But more advanced than that is, is the whole idea of predictive marketing and predictive brands, uh, which again, you know, it's something that is already happening, uh, not as far as the promise of predictive marketing where we are no longer making choices, but we're actually deselecting the things coming to us. Uh, and it's a space where Amazon is investing a lot of money in. Uh, but I also think that there is there is a, a darker side to that as well. And I remember, uh, I think one of the first scenes from that movie, Wally. if you, well, you don't have kids, Jazz, you, you, I'm not <laughs> sure if you watch that. But well, if you I'm have, a child at heart. <laughs> a, you're a child at heart, then, then there you go. I remember, I think on the first scene of, of Wally, there there is, a, you know, these this children in this spaceship and uh, there is this obese boy sitting on this uh, very comfortable chair uh, that is placed on top of a conveyor belt and he's watching uh, something on a, on a on a VR headset holding a milkshake and and a bag of chips uh, and things are just coming to him and coming to him as he as he goes on this conveyor belt consuming his time consuming his life with the products that are consuming himself to a degree and i think that it's i mean the beauty of brands is that they create this shortcut for you to make choices. But but on the other hand, when you choose a brand, you are almost reinforcing your very identity. At the moment that you stop making those choices, our, our brands is still going to be relevant. And if they are, in what way? This is something that I, I don't know yet. Maybe Andrea has an opinion on that. From my, from my perspective, um, look, data needs to be part of every single decision, but whether or not we need to be led by data in the absence of um, in the absence of strategy, I think maybe uh, not led as there are other elements that need to be factored into it. I think importantly you need to start with the data, um, use it to start conversations and thinking, um, use it to test scenarios. But importantly, I think you can't you can't lose that sense of the importance of creativity, the importance of brand purpose, the importance of all of those elements that I, I don't think can be lost. So I don't think uh, it can be data-led on its own. But data also has its challenges, and a, a very big one that we are facing right now is privacy. And 
privacy and, and how, how much companies are using data in uh, not the best ways. Let's put, let's put it this way. What views do you have around privacy and use of data, especially in this very polarizing society that we've been living on? Yes, so certainly a hot topic. Data is often termed the fuel of the information age. And in our industry, it definitely is fundamental to every single element of the mix and the strategy and the execution so as to deliver the optimal experience to the customer. However, as you've said, on the other side of it, a plethora of information also increases concerns around data privacy. Um, It's an ongoing debate fraught with complexity. But I think there is an increasing awareness and acknowledgement from the industry that data is critical and needs to be treated with respect, both for the consumer but also for the brands so that we're able to actually use the data. So the more we're able to get the industry and the consumers more educated about data, it will naturally improve the accountability of the use of it and hopefully also help the regulators to find that right balance in protecting data without necessarily limiting the safe and responsible use of it. If we we think of um, the regulators here in Australia, they have shown they're willing to set the pace globally and take on some of the giants that may wield significant influence. And they are very much, though, looking beyond what businesses are saying about privacy, so those businesses we take privacy seriously, but they're also looking much deeper into the processes and the practices of those businesses and holding them accountable. And and that's something, obviously, as a marketer and and Adma representing the industry, closely monitors and advocates for the industry as the regulators move through looking at those spaces. So from our perspective, we're advocates for privacy and reform that actually um, improve transparency and data practices and help educate the consumer and the marketer so that the consumers can be more in control or at least understand a little bit more when their data is collected, how it's being used, how it improves their experience and how they can remove how they can remove consent. Because ultimately, if the consumer sees benefit in why their data is being collected, then there is a lot more openness to sharing that data. And so that's from the consumer's perspective. But then importantly, we also look at it for what that actually means for businesses on the other side. Um, it's not going to get any simpler, but it is through education and really both consumer side and marketer side, that I think we can navigate our way through this. Mm. And Andrea, you actually just touched on then, you mentioned, you know, the big giants in this space. Um, and that really leads me onto my next question, which I want to address to both of you, actually. Now, everybody has been talking about documentaries like The Great Hack and The Social Dilemma. I mean, I have, um, I watched The Social Dilemma, you know, a few weeks back and my friends and I have been speaking about it. And even as somebody you know, in my field who writes about marketing day in and day out. And I was aware of so many of these things that the documentary raised. Even I was, you know, a little bit more cautious and looking at my privacy settings and thinking, oh, have I been a little bit lax because I'm so close to it. So what are both of your perspectives on this and um, what, what, and the questions that I guess it's raised in our society? That's a good one. Uh, Wow. Uh, I think Great Hack and Social Dilemma, they they have very 
specific themes. The Great Hack is all about manipulation. A social Dilemma is all about addiction. And uh, watching watching those two movies and stopping to think about what what is the message beneath that, besides everything that is put in front of you, in my view, is the fact that marketing may have gotten way too narrow. Uh, all, all, of, all of the scientific approach that has been put on marketing has only been about measuring transactions in market and how we can make those transactions happen more efficiently and more effectively. But, but then we have like a, ho- a host of other issues that are not being looked at, that we're not putting the, the scientific lens to understand and to a great degree help, may mar- help make marketing better, but also society better and help consumers make better choices and live like better citizens as well. I, I think I remember one, one part of uh, the social dilemma when she's, she, I think she's a Harvard scholar, Shoshana Zuboff, and she says that what, what big tech is doing is they're essentially turning the human experience into data. And by doing that, you're almost commodifying existence to then transact for something else. I find it scary. Uh, I find it uh, uh, fascinating as well because it shows the extents of uh, human prowess and imagination and, uh, and, 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 and technological expertise as well. But it's scary. I don't know. I have, a, I have, a, I have many question marks in my mind. What do you think, Andrea? Yeah, so look, I think something that both of these um, bring to life is that it shows how we've changed in the way we communicate. And as a result, the expectations on all of us in communicating, if we think of, you know, you think of the keyboard warriors and you think of the negative experience, irrespective of the platform that they're on, the negative experiences that they can create and the impact on individuals. Um, you think of screen time. We've talked about that this, e- this evening around screen time and and the pressures that that has put on us. So the reliance on, for instance, email as a form of communication rather than picking up the phone or having face-to-face meetings and that expectations of, you know, a more a immediate reply if, it's, if I haven't heard back in 24 hours. So I think what all of this talks to, both of these programs talk to is the change that we are seeing, the effect that is having on our children and what the future is actually going to be is, is quite frightening. So I, I agree with you. Um, and, and it's one of the reasons, again, why we went down the Thrive route because this pandemic has only made this, this worse. You think of how much more reliant we have become on our laptops, on, on our screens, on, on basically this as a, as a medium for everything, be it entertainment, be it collecting our information, be it engaging with our colleagues, be it engaging with our family and friends. So I agree, it's, it's real in many ways, uh, cause for concern, and um, it is frightening. Mm, yeah, and in this, in this relationship with technology that brands are very present, consumers have been repelling that quite a lot. There's been uh, quite a few research pieces saying that people try to avoid advertising as much as they can. They don't care about brands and uh, they demonize marketers and similar things to that. Uh, but on the article that, that, we, that we wrote together, at some point, you, you actually make, make a very strong point about CRM and how relationships are so important to keep up with uh, healthy balance sheets and uh, strong marketing programs as well. 
looking into into this moment that we're living and imagining beyond looking at those four scenarios that that we went through how do you envisage uh, CRM as a successful practice for the future so absolutely um, building that relationship with the customer is fundamental to business success and fundamental to basically um, brand success so my, my view is that any relationship, like, like a great organisation, a CR, great CRM approach has to have a really strong sense of purpose. And that needs to be embedded within the brand or within the organisation, and it needs to be based on true consumer insight. So when we talk about purpose, we think about, um, think about the relationships that, for instance, Amazon, Patagonia or Airbnb, as an example, have with their customers. They are all very, very different. Amazon's, you know, about connecting people with the information and the vendors they need. Patagonia, much more about fostering a community of, of explorers. And Airbnb, blurring that line between providers and the consumers and encouraging a deeper personal connection. So every model there for all of those organisations is clearly understood. It's understood by the customer and it's understood internally. And Without that, CRM essentially just becomes a tracking measure, measurement um, for sales mecha mechanism. Sorry, for sales conversion. And the second piece is that you know, not in looking at your customer relationships, not all relationships are are equally important in terms of prioritising. It's firstly not only are they not all equally important, they're also not all about money. They're not all about the revenue that's raised from them. Some of them, when we find at looking at the audience and looking at the customers that we have, some of them is around who are the most valuable people? How are they engaged with the brands? Who takes the time to learn about the brands and then becomes advocates? So the key piece is around really figuring out what are those behaviours and how do they correlate to the success of your organisation? So, and then prioritising those relationships, making choices, investing in those, and then building lifetime customer value through those. And then finally is around my perspective is measuring the health of those relationships. So don't just measure the sales conversions, but really look at how active is that community? Uh, is that community thriving? Is the, how is that community uh, inter interacting with the brand? So clear purpose prioritising which relationships to focus on and then measuring the health of the relationships, not just sales, for me are the key three elements from a CRM perspective in terms of really building those customer relationships that will give you that lifetime customer or that lifetime customer value that businesses need. I think that that is some really tangible advice, Andrea. Thank you for that. Wrapping things up a little bit, how much influence do you believe that marketers and the marketing industry have in terms of, I guess, creating the conditions for a, a better future ahead? I mean, obviously, this whole podcast and this whole content series that we're creating is all about the future. And I want to understand what, what role marketers can play. Where does it need to grow a little bit in your, in your view? So I'm an optimist um, because I love this industry. I've been in this industry for a very, very long time and I'm passionate about the impact that marketers can have. If you think about, you know, at the end of the day, most of the marketers, the early adopters, they're flexible, they adapt to a changing environment. They're the first to see what's coming and the impact that it's actually going to have on the status quo and therefore they play such an important role. 
reality though is none of us can predict the future if we think you know six months back we would never have predicted what we're seeing now um and therefore it's important that marketers that they don't operate in a vacuum so they need to be supported collaborated consulted through the organization and they need to be reaching out to their customers they're having the opportunity to look up and out and then coming back into the organizations and really working deeply across the various pillars of the organization to be able to have the impact that they need to have because without that integration and collaboration back into the organization they won't be able to have that impact and um, and i think that is absolutely key i think that's something that as we as we all progress forward and and work through be it brand strategies or business strategies um, of the next six twelve you know two years that is that is critical because nobody can do this alone and we need to not as marketers not lose sight of that Beautycast is the marketing mag podcast series brought to you by content brains and presented by marketing mag Beautycast is produced by joanne davies head of content brains and publisher of marketing mag and jazz giuliani editor of content brains and marketing mag Our executive producer is Sergio Brodsky with original music and audio production by Sam Boone. If you want further details on our podcast or our guests, please visit the episode notes in this podcast. Remember to subscribe to Futurecast so you never miss an episode.